Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. The two distinctions we made last week, just to bring you up to speed, is that mindfulness, what we call mindfulness meditation, is really an emphasis on letting go. Mindfulness meditation is an emphasis on being here now, being equanimous, non-reactive, accepting, and not engaging with present moment experience, really focusing on sort of loving acceptance. That's what we call mindfulness meditation. And mindfulness meditation often has the goal of presence. The goal is just to be present, just to be chill, to be with whatever arises, to make room for everything, And that pretty much, for a lot of the schools around mindfulness meditation, tends to be the focus. And in and of itself, that is also what the Buddha teaches. It is a part of the path. So it's not not part of the path. There's just more to it than that when we practice insight meditation. Now, insight meditation focuses on the seven factors of awakening. So instead of one heart-mind quality, or you might say two, mindfulness and equanimity are the focus of mindfulness practice, and insight meditation, we're being asked to take in seven different heart-mind qualities and balance them in our consciousness. Now, just to just so you're not like freaking out and thinking, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous, that seems so complicated or too intellectual or just overwhelming, I want to remind you that most of the time, if you're practicing insight meditation without even thinking about it, you're cultivating the majority, if not all, of the enlightenment factors. So it sounds kind of complicated, but once you understand what the enlightenment factors really are, you're probably already using the majority of them every time you sit down to meditate. So I'll explain that in a second, but just so you know, you're probably already doing this. I'm just giving words to the distinctions. So in inside meditation, we're asked to not only be present, but we're asked to cultivate, sustain, and balance these heart-mind qualities. So that's engagement. You're really getting into present moment awareness, and then you're investigating. You're being curious. You're wondering what's happening over here. You're balancing some energy over there. You're really, for lack of a better word, playing with and being creative with the present moment reality. And in a second, I'll explain why that's so important, but that's what you're doing. Um, And I got to thank... uh, Melanie, I'm going to give you a shout out here because I think you're here. Yes, I see your dog photo there. I'm going to give a shout out to Melanie because Melanie gave, put a great word to this last week. She said, equanimity is on one side, engagement is on the other. That is beautiful. That's exactly what the Buddha is doing. Equanimity is the passive factor, the letting go, the being present. And then we have this thing called investigation where we engage in the present moment. And that's a little bit more active. We cultivate We sustain and we balance by engaging actively in the present moment. And that's really what makes insight meditation so unique amongst mindfulness type meditation practices. So one is more passive, one is more active. 
Because one is more active, it tends to be a little bit more challenging to learn at first, but once you get the hang of it, you have much more freedom to explore and to investigate what's going on in your own heart and your own mind. And that's what the meditation is designed to actually do. So let me explain to you why this is so important, this distinction between equanimity, which is the, um, the passive factor, and engagement or investigation, which is the active factor. As I've said before, which I say all the time because I can't get enough of saying this, um, we co-create the experience of our moment-to-moment -moment reality. We are co-creators of our sense of self, and we are co-creators of what we experience with each passing moment. And the Buddha refers to this power to co-create our sense of being moment to moment as Sankara. Goenkaji loved this term. It's S-A-N-K, Sankara, H-A-R-A, Sankara. And Sankara in the Pali means to create, to fabricate, or to put together, right? And the heart mind has this ability to put together all of the incoming data from our eyes and our ears, right, our sense doors and the mind itself, it takes in all this data and then it puts it together into what we call the present moment experience. Now, this fabrication or co-creation of reality is how we know the world. We only know the world by taking in all the sense information and trying to make sense of it. And that process of making sense of it and putting it together into a coherent framework, or you could say making meaning out of the data that's coming in, this ability to do so is sankara, this habit of the heart and mind to put together the pieces of reality and make it into something that makes sense to us. And in that moment, or I should say moment to moment, as we're doing this, we're also creating a sense of self, a sense of identity. So in this moment, if you just kind of fall back into who you are in this moment, how you feel, kind of what's going on in your head, sense of the room, sense of the uh, computer. This sense that you have right now is being put together in pieces, but it feels solid. It feels like it's all one piece, so to speak. And you have a sense of I. I am watching or I am participating in a Zoom Dharma talk right now. That sense that you have of participating is being fabricated, co-created by your heart and mind every single moment, arising, passing, arising, passing, arising, passing. Essentially, the present moment is what the Buddha says, conditioned. It's a conditioned phenomenon, meaning that every moment we're taking in the consequences from our past, the results of our past choices, the results of other people's past choices. All of that information is coming in. We react out of habit, that's a key thing here. We react out of habit, and that reaction puts all of this information into being, and we experience this sense of being alive, being present in our moment-to-moment -moment experience. So we're taking in the past. We're reacting to it. Sensations arise. That's our present moment experience. We react again. That creates the next moment. We react again. So moment-to-moment, -moment, we're reacting, 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 and that fabrication that interaction between the heart-mind and what's arising into the moment, that's sankara, that's putting together the experience of the present moment. 
and it's a hyperactive, hy not hyperactive, a, <laughs> a very active, a hyper-active process, right? And so it is happening so quickly. The Buddha said somewhere in the early suttas that every blink of an eye, an entire universe is arising and passing away. Universes upon universes that we're co-creating reality so quickly that we can't even see how fast it's happening. Millions and millions of reaction every blink of an eye. So this is not something that's easy to see clearly, right? In our normal day-to-day, -day, it feels like the world or life is happening to us. But in fact, we are co-creating that experience that it is happening to us. The quickness of the Sankara, the quickness of the creation, makes it feel solid, it makes it feel real, and it gives us a real strong sense of self. I am. I, me, mine. That sense we have of I, me, mine is what the Buddha calls a Sankara. It's a fabrication. It's a co-created experience moment to moment. Now, something to understand about these sankharas or these habits of creation, moment to moment, is that for the most part, we do it unconsciously. We create meaning out of our moment to moment experience. We react to the moment to moment experience based on our upbringing, based on our education, based on our present mood. You know, when we don't feel so well, we interpret reality in a particular way. When we feel happy, we interpret things in a particular way. Um, we interpret things based on culture and our political views and our economic views and social views, our ideas of friendship and love. Every microsecond, all of our views are taking in this data and making it into the world for us. And so it's happening quickly. It's happening non-consciously for the most part. And it's happening moment to moment. It's never ceasing as long as we are existing in the world. <laughs> Minus being enlightened. I'm going to let Alvin put an asterisk there. Okay. Our regular moment-to-moment -moment experience. So why is this important? Why does the Buddha talk about Sankara, this fabrication or co-creation of moment-to-moment -moment experience? The reason it's so important in ancient Buddhism is that the Buddha's insight is that moment-to-moment -moment we are fabricating either happiness or discontent. That what we call suffering or dukkha in the Dharma, what we call well-being is a result of our habits. It's a result of how we react to present moment experience. It's a sankara. It's a habit of co-creation. And insight meditation teaches us how to intentionally fabricate more happiness and unfabricate the suffering. So... In insight meditation, we intend to be present so we can begin to see how the present moment is constructed, how we're actually creating it through our heart and mind. So then we can create it intentionally, not out of unconscious habits, but out of conscious habits where we abandon our participation in the suffering to decrease that and increase the happiness by participating more in creating moments of joy and kindness and love and equanimity. So the, the word Sankara is so important in the Dharma because the meditation practice is designed to teach us and to show us with real clarity how we are actually creating our moment-to-moment -moment experience so we can do it in a way that ultimately leads us to awakening and to an absence of suffering. So that's a huge 
part of the Dharma is this ability to not only welcome everything into the present moment, but to take it one step further and investigate and be curious about how the moment is put together and in a deeper way, how we are in fact putting it together. So that really is the foundation of insight meditation. Now, for those of you who have a little bit more experience with these terms and with the Dharma itself, I'm going to throw in one caveat here for those of you. If, if this doesn't make sense, don't worry about it, but I'm going to throw it in for those who have some more experience here. Once we begin to learn how the present moment is created through this fabrication process, uh, and I'll clarify this in a second, we then let go of fabrication as well. Because even fabrication is a type of suffering. I'm just saying, for those of you who know what that means, you'll know what that means. It's just a more complicated next step type thing. I just wanted to throw it in there. That when we're creating happiness and letting go of suffering in our meditation, that is not yet the enlightenment experience. That process teaches us to let go even further of the path. We let go of the path and of all fabricated experience into the unconditioned. So I'm just throwing that out there. I know that's kind of a lot, but that's basically the step into awakening. But that's not what we're talking about here today. So let me go deeper into mindfulness and equanimity to give you a better explanation of these heart-mind qualities. And this will become even clearer, I think, in a second here. Let's take this back to our theme. There's this distinction between insight practice or insight meditation and mindfulness meditation in its most simplistic form. If we look at the enlightenment factors, these factors of awakening, there are three, well, there's seven, but there's three that are themed here today. Mindfulness, equanimity, and investigation. Investigation, remember, is the engagement. It's the curiosity. It's the exploration of how the moment is constructed. Mindfulness, equanimity, and investigation. So let me just give you the definition so you can bring this together, and then I'll show you the, our, our handout, and we can we can talk about this a little bit more. Mindfulness is when we intentionally bring something into awareness. So when I started the meditation this evening, I invited us to find a home base in the present moment. That's the mindfulness part. Intending to find a spot on the body, on the nose, heart, face, finding some part of the body to bring into awareness so we can begin to be really present. The longer we can hold an object in the present moment, the clearer the present moment becomes. So the mindfulness part is just finding a place and holding it gently, not too clingy, but not, not so loose that it, the mind keeps wandering. We have to hold it intentionally. We have to be ardent about it. But if we're too clingy, as you know, the mind wanders and the whole thing has to start over again. But mindfulness is that intentional moment where we say in-breath, out-breath sensations on the hand. That's mindfulness, that intention to be awake and aware to what is so. Taking it a step further, we have equanimity. Equanimity is the heart quality. Once we have something in awareness, equanimity says, accept it for what it is. Don't push it away. Don't cling too hard. Just take a passive, heartfelt approach to whatever it is. We just hold it now, the reason the Buddha distinguished between mindfulness and equanimity 
is that you can be mindful of something and really not like it. <laughs> so you can be mindful of pain and be like, I am so averse to this pain right now. Like I do not want this pain. Now that's being mindful without equanimity. So you can be mindful and not be equanimous. Equanimity is saying, wow, in this meditation, I'm really feeling this tension in my leg. Oh, maybe I'll just be with that. That's fine. There's tension. I'm going to be awake and aware. I'm going to lean into it. I'm not going to push it away. I'm going to accept it. I'm going to try to explore it a little bit. So equanimity is the accepting. It's the accepting quality of the heart. The reason the Buddha made two qualities out of them, mindfulness and equanimity, as I said, is that you don't always bring equanimity to what's happening. I mean, <laughs> I had at least two, maybe three sits this week where I was very mindful that my mind was wandering, but I was not equanimous to it. Like my mind wandered. I had a sit this week where, again, like I hit the timer and then the timer went off and I had no idea where I was or what I was. It's just like 35 minutes of nothing. I don't know what was going on. I might have been sleeping. And when I got out of the sit, my first response was kind of aversion. I was not equanimous to having that. I really wanted a different kind of sit and I was not given that sit. But I didn't, I didn't approach it with equanimity. There was a sense of aversion, and I walked away kind of like, eh, that kind of sucked. Now, that's very different, right? It's not, it's not equanimous. So you can be mindful and accepting, and you can be mindful and averse. So they're two different qualities, and we have to practice both of them. The third quality that I've been talking about here is the investigation. Investigation is called curiosity. Sometimes it's referred to as discernment. But it's basically engaging, engaging in the present moment with interest, looking to see what is really happening. Now, I usually use the term investigation rather than the term curiosity because investigation for me speaks to more of an action. You actually investigate what's happening because you can be curious, but curiosity to me is more of an attitudinal orientation. It, you're, you can be curious, but investigation really is an actual engagement with the present moment experience. You're really doing some things there in the moment. You're not just being interested. It's like one step further. Being interested is required, but I really like to use the word investigate because that's in fact what you're doing. You're kind of experimenting to see what's happening. So if you take those three qualities, right? If you take those three qualities, here's one way to sort of remember them. Mindfulness allows access to presence. Equanimity accepts what we've allowed into presence and investigation explores it. Mindfulness allows us access to what is so. Equanimity encourages us to accept that experience and as we've accepted it, we then have an opportunity to investigate, which is the exploration. Each one of those qualities can be balanced and used interchangeably to have an impact in your meditation. And that is the foundation of insight meditation, the balancing of these heart-mind qualities. One of the challenges we have with mindfulness meditation in and of itself, when it has been taken out of its home, with insight meditation out of its eightfold path out of the home of the enlightenment factors is that oftentimes mindfulness is described as equanimity so oftentimes if you go online and you type in like mindfulness 
it will describe mindfulness as a present moment, non-judgmental, non-reactive practice. And that's true. But we just need to remember that the non-reactive part is the equanimity and the holding and awareness. They're, they're conflated into one thing. And when we do that, we lose an opportunity to, for lack of a better word, like um, develop the two skills to really see that they're actually different. And so when we put them together, we can't see their distinctions or their differences. So it's really helpful to remember that when the Buddha taught the meditation, he saw equanimity as one heart-mind skill and mindfulness as another. They were not the same thing. And by separating them, it gives you more of an opportunity to really explore them independently and to watch how they interact to form or have the sankara, the creative power, to create your present moment experience. So let me bring up this, uh, let me bring up a couple uh, images here and, and I'll walk you through this. So, you know, I'm a visual person. So if I don't have something to look at, then um, let me just bring up our old school. Let's see here. Let me see if I can share my screen. Okay. Throw up a hand if you can see. Yes. Is this up on the screen? Okay. So let's start with our classic teeter-totter here that you're all aware of. Okay. So I'm going to, is my cursor visible? You guys can see this too, correct? Okay. So let me just in a visual way, cause this is how I think, um, let me just explain a little bit about what I just explained, but let's do it. Let's do it visually. Um, mindfulness is at the bottom here underneath the teeter totter. It is the fulcrum upon which all Buddhist meditation practices rest. You have to be awake and aware to do anything in the meditation, right? You have to start with wakefulness to build any other heart-mind skills. So mindfulness is underneath. The Buddha says that mindfulness is the only quality we can never have too much of. Mindfulness can, you just, you fill yourself with mindfulness and there's never too much of the mindfulness. We can always just be generating mindfulness and you have to have it to do anything in the meditation. Any meditation at all for it to really be a meditation, has to cultivate this quality of the heart, uh, the mindfulness. So we we have mindfulness. We bring, say, the breath into awareness. We bring we bring the breath into awareness through mindfulness. And then, as we have our in breath and our out breath, some things begin to arise. Sometimes it's pleasure. Sometimes it's stress or sadness. It could be any of the five hindrances. But we start to realize that there's going to be some pleasant sensations and there's going to be some oftentimes aversive sensations. Well, what do we do with that? Well, one thing we can do over here is equanimity. On one side, we have equanimity. That means whatever arises, we decide, okay, I'm going to accept this. And so what we want to remember is the reason we want to bring equanimity to the present moment if we don't do it, then the mind is going to run off with the sensation. So if it's a negative sensation, the mind's going to push it away. It's going to say, no, I don't want knee pain. I don't want a headache. I don't want to feel sad. I want to feel good. And it will run away from the sensation and the mind will either wander or the meditation will get really foggy as you push away the sensations that you don't like. If it's a pleasant sensation, the same thing might happen. The mind will grasp at it, cling to it, crave it, 
So if, if that's happening, we can't get clear what's going on if our mind is going craving, clinging, aversion, desire, grasping. So equanimity, this factor is brought in so that we can accept whatever is arising so we can begin to understand it. Right? We want to be able to hold it long enough to know it. We're not just accepting it for its own sake. We're accepting it so we can begin to develop these other factors as well. So let's say for sake of argument, some sensations arise. And then we bring some equanimity to them. And as we bring equanimity to them, we begin to see, wow, it's really interesting that as I breathe and as I accept what's going on, I can actually see my present moment arising and passing away. And once that becomes visible through mindfulness and equanimity, we can then go over here to this other side and balance it out with some investigation, some curiosity. We can ask ourselves questions like, when I take a slow breath, how does it feel? When I take a long breath, how does it feel? When I'm feeling, uh, when the wandering mind arises, what kind of thoughts are happening in that moment that might cause that to happen? Some other types of investigation. Is this self? Are these sensations permanent? You've heard of these before and you've, all of you have done this investigation. Is this me? Are these my thoughts, right? This is the investigation part where we start to engage what we see, not just accept, but really take a look and explore. We start to interact with it. So these are on the outer parts here because we balance investigation and equanimity. And as we do that, as we do that, as we balance this equanimity and investigation with the mindfulness, we begin to see effort. We begin to see that with a particular effort, we can have what we call the meditation experience. Effort, at least in this example I'm giving, is partly about balancing investigation and equanimity. That's part of what it is, is to balance the two. If we're too equanimous and we don't react at all, we're just going to accept everything and not understand its nature. If we spend too much time engaging, the mind's going to wander and we're going to have to come back and add a little bit more equanimity. So it's kind of a dance that we do between these two factors. All of this is also a part of skillful effort. We learn to be effortful in a way that's gentle and non-reactive, not too clingy, not too passive, in order to maintain present moment awareness. Now, if you successfully balance the investigation with the equanimity, concentration arises here at the end. Concentration begins to arise. And what concentration is, is continuous mindfulness that's clear with a wakefulness and an awareness and an ability to see. And the more that our concentration arises, once again, the clearer and the easier it will be to be equanimous and investigative. Concentration is a clarity factor. It clarifies what we're seeing. So when our effort is skillful here and balances investigation and equanimity here, our mind becomes concentrated. And as the mind becomes concentrated, the natural byproduct of wise concentration is pleasure, rapture, and tranquility, these center points here. 
Rapture and tranquility are the natural response to skillful meditation. Now, I'm oversimplifying, of course, because we've all been inside the meditation experience and you know it's not this straightforward, but I'm just trying to show you how this works so you can remind yourselves of what I'm talking about and why I'm saying that insight meditation is about all of these factors. It's not just about being present. It's about cultivating and balancing all of these heart-mind qualities. But let me give you an example of how you're already doing it. In any meditation, you start breathing and you become present with breath. The mind wanders a few times. You add some equanimity to wandering mind. You accept that the mind wanders. You bring it back. You bring it back. And before you know it, it starts becoming concentrated. It begins to stay in the present moment. And then you notice this breath is long. You investigate that this breath is short. You start to see what's really happening. You start to notice moods like, oh, wow, I'm feeling tense. So investigation is already there. You're starting to look and see clearly with awareness what's happening. That's skillful effort. So you've already used three out of the seven right there, enlightenment factors. If that continues for a few minutes and you really are breathing in and bringing out and being continuous with mindfulness, that's concentration. You've got the concentration factor. And if you've ever felt pleasure in your meditation, either the rapture, which is the emotional, or the tranquility, which is more bodily, that's those factors right there. You've already, so everyone in this digital room here has had these factors arising and passing away. You're all using them already in your meditation. It's just getting to know what they do for us and how to use them. So, the reason I'm bringing this up again, because the theme over the last few weeks has been to really talk about the difference between insight and mindfulness and a big deal, a big aspect of this process is reminding ourselves that there's quite a few heart-mind qualities that we are working with. And it just so happens that insight meditation is designed to develop all seven of those in tandem. It's designed to do that. And if you look at, we won't be doing this tonight, but if you look at the instructions in the Satipatthana Sutta and you go down, it essentially addresses all your factors of awakening. That's what the instructions are. Cultivate these, these things. And as I said, I think two weeks ago, the reason I bring this up is that over the history of the Dharma, and particularly in the West, and particularly in North America, over time, that one mindfulness factor, which is underneath, has been taken out of that teeter-totter. It's been taken out of its home base and it's been taught on its own as meditation. And to some degree, many students are told that mindfulness meditation without any of the other factors is insight meditation. And, and after a while, they find that the meditation, it, I'm not going to say it doesn't go anywhere because that's not true. Mindfulness in and of itself will decrease anxiety. It will lessen depression. It will give you much more, um, let's see what, how you'd say, it, uh, sort of heightened senses. So you'd have deeper emotional experience. So mindfulness will lower your blood pressure. I mean, it, it does so many different things. It reduces accidents. Uh, so uh, the, the point I'm making here is that mindfulness within the insight context is just one of the many factors that we have to take into account. I am definitely not saying, and please hear this, that mindfulness meditation is not something to do or enjoy or experience. What I am saying is I would invite you, 
if you like that and you're not already doing, I mean, if you've been here with me for a year, then you, this is stuff you already know. We've already been talking about this a lot, but bringing this all together, enjoy the mindfulness, but remember that there is a whole part of this teaching that really goes deep, that really deals with psychological stuff much quicker. It helps with the wandering mind when it's done properly. Um, you have much deeper insight into that fabrication and how the present moment is constructed. And that is such a big insight because once you can really see how the present moment is constructed, you have the creative freedom to bring pleasure into the present moment when you're feeling sad or feeling down. You have the ability to bring up the energy of kindness or bring up the energy of compassion, tranquility, equanimity. And what happens over time, just to clarify, as you learn to cultivate these factors, they become habits. So they more and more become the foundation of your being in the world. So you'll find yourself spontaneously being equanimous. You'll find yourself being spontaneously curious about a mood that's just arisen. You'll be able to notice when you can bring up some ease and rest intentionally when you're feeling stressed. But if we don't practice doing it, it's very hard to do on the fly if we don't really bring it into our meditation. So that's where I'm going with all of this. I really want to encourage and teach all seven factors of enlightenment and really help you to learn how to balance them and how to cultivate them in your meditation. This is the big, the big uh, desire I have as a teacher in general is to really make sure that people understand all seven factors of awakening so you get m the most out of the experience of being a meditator. Because I, <laughs> I know how hard it is being a meditator to meditate regularly so my experience, there was a certain point in my practice where I didn't realize that I was mostly just practicing mindfulness. And after, I might have been 10 years at that point, there was just this kind of itch that I had, this kind of unresolved, I was just like, there's got to be a little more to this. Like I'm not really getting the fruits that I kind of read in the books. And so I really went out and I started looking at a lot of different teachers and I was looking and asking questions. And eventually, when I finally was pointed back to the traditional teachings of the Dharma and really looked at the Eightfold Path and really looked at insight meditation, it was like a whole new world opened up to me because I realized, oh, my practice had become super imbalanced. I was really good at equanimity. I could like get really concentrated and be really equanimous. But I had no ability to then engage in the present moment. And because of that, I wasn't getting a lot of pleasure. And the, the meditation was feeling kind of boring. Um, I was frustrated by the wandering mind a lot. I mean, I'm the only person in the universe has ever been frustrated by the wandering mind, of course. But um, And so when I finally really got into the tools of insight meditation, my meditation practice just expanded into this incredible experience it was lots of fun. It was a real, it really had a journey sense to it because I could really explore who I was and how I was co-creating who I was in the world and how I wanted to show up. Um, so that's where I'm coming from and really being passionate about teaching this particular part of the Dharma. Because from my experience, I got to a point where I was so, dis not disappointed, but I was at a standstill in my meditation that I started going back to therapy to try and get a deeper experience in my meditation because I felt like my meditation was stuck. I didn't know what else to do. 
And in my experience, so for example, um, after having practiced for so many years, I was still struggling with anxiety symptoms. And that's kind of why I wanted to meditate in the first place is to decrease my anxiety. But most of the teachers I had just told me to accept the feelings of anxiety, just be awake and aware and watch them arise and watch them pass away. But it turns out that anxiety doesn't happen to me. I fabricate anxiety. Anxiety is a response to what's arising in the present moment. And as soon as I had a teacher explain to me that sometimes being equanimous is not the skillful action, I suddenly could engage the anxiety and I could decrease it and I could watch how I was contributing to it rather than just standing back and being equanimous. And my whole meditation practice just kind of blew up at that point because I started to see Sankara, the role that I was playing in creating this strong, <laughs> uh, aversive emotion. I was going to say God-forsaken emotion because <laughs> anxiety is so annoying. Um, I just hated it so much. I still do, but I've befriended it in a different way. But you know, and so I speak from this experience of really being passionate from my own practice and knowing what happens when we start to practice all seven factors um, in the meditation. So this is part of why I'm bringing this whole three or hundred part series here uh, to y'all. So, so that is our next step in the practice. Our next step is that's the theory behind it. If you have not taken if you were not here the last couple weeks, I highly suggest you go back and listen to the last two talks. Because if you put all three of these together, it is a pretty decent overview of, of significant topics. And in the next few weeks, what we're going to do is I'm going to guide you into the meditations and show you how to use all the factors at the same time. Like how to move in and out, how to combine them in meta practice, how to uh, prepare yourself for jhana practice how to do um, the body scanning in a way that incorporates all the factors. So I'll just, over the next few weeks, we're gonna do a lot of practice. We're gonna go in and I'll just show you how to do it. We'll just, we'll do our initial meditation. I'll do some uh, kind of didactic explanation of what I'm going to guide. And then we'll go back into the sits and we'll, we'll go into it and we'll actually do this. We'll do the work. Um, and so I think at that point, a lot of this will come home for you and you'll, you'll have at least a better experience um, of being able to figure this out. So that's where we're at. Thank you so much for your kind and generous attention. So lovely to be here with you uh, this evening. And again, I'm really, uh, this is just so much fun being able to share this stuff with you. It's so exciting and it's so amazing to watch people get into it. So yeah, I'm very excited about the next few weeks of practicing this with you. Let's um, let's end on time and, and fall back into some meta. Yeah, and I'll see you guys next week after we remind ourselves of why we're really here. <laughs> Let's fall back into presence for a few minutes. Take a long, slow, deep breath in. Bringing awareness fully into body. Body sitting, body breathing. Knowing the whole body in awareness. Notice how it feels. 
We've been here for 90 minutes or so. After listening to a Dharma talk, there can be some agitation in the body as thoughts try and figure out ideas. Or you might feel at rest or at ease. There might be a slight grasping to get on with your evening or thinking about the work day for tomorrow. Just being present with whatever arises in this moment, holding it all in body awareness, sensations, life held in direct contact with heart and mind. Such a privilege to be able to come together and sit and learn, practice and support each other care for each other in community and sangha. Such an incredible opportunity. And with this grace that we've been given, with a sense of gratitude for being able to sit tonight together, to meditate and explore, we remind ourselves that we don't practice just for us but with the intention of showing up in the world as kind, compassionate, and awakened beings, so that all beings can share in the positivity and compassion that arises from our practice. We wish everybody well, for all beings to be safe and secure, for all beings to feel loved and heard, For all beings to know equity and justice. For all beings to be safe and at ease. May all beings know true love, true joy and true compassion in this lifetime. May all beings know true joy, true love, and true compassion in this lifetime. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from suffering. Thank you, my friends. Delight as always. Give me a shout out if any of this is confusing. Hit me up. Send me an email. We can talk. Otherwise, uh, be prepared the next few weeks for some real practice. If that's what's on your heart and mind, it'll be a lot of meditation. So much love to you all. Be safe. Be well. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. 
We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.